All right, so let's get into the Ten Commandments. Number nine, which means you're almost done, right? There's only ten, hence the name, right? So we're going to talk about lying this morning. Haven't these just been fun to do? You guys enjoying the series? Do not, do not, do not. Everyone's like, oh, I do, I do, I do. These have been good, though. Good examination of our lives. So uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 5 as we've stayed in Deuteronomy. And you guys have heard me say this before. I'm not going to uh, go through it all again. But this is the, uh, for Moses, this is a time where he's readdressing the, the, the law, readdressing the Ten Commandments. This isn't the time that they were originally given. This is a readdress after the uh, disobedient generation um, has died off. And so um, that's the context that we're reading um, the Ten Commandments in this time. And so uh, if we'll, be in, we'll be in verse 20 this morning. Very briefly it says, And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Some of your versions say, You shall not lie. Okay? Bear false witness is a fancy way of saying, Don't lie. Okay? You shall not lie. So what I wanted to do uh, is give a little additional context to you shall not lie because uh, it's very similar to last week. The Lord uh, we talked about uh, not having an uneven measure, an uneven scale for when you buy and sell goods, and the Lord goes into a little bit more detail uh, when it comes to you shall not lie as well. So I'm going to give a little more context, and then we're going to take a little bit different turn this morning. What we're going to do? Hey guys, good to see y'all. Those guys are awesome. Um, are y'all in town for just a short, brief stint, just a weekend? Okay, good, good. Well, good to see you. Um, so then we'll take a, a turn, and I want to look at the origin of lying. Um, I want to I want to look at where it comes from. Jesus makes a statement when he's talking to the Pharisees uh, about the, where lying comes from, and so I want to look at that context, understand that context, um, and then understand why truth is so important. So we're going to take a step back and, and look at really in a generalized context, what is the importance of truth and lies and why the Lord is so adamant here saying, um, you shall not lie. So let's get a little more context. Exodus chapter 23, a little bit more into you shall not lie. So he says in verse one, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. So remember this in context of lying. So you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you uh, meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert justice, uh, uh, sorry, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right." So the heart of, the, of this you shall not lie, and he elaborates on it quite a bit in these passages, but the heart of it here is behind one word. It's to keep pure the idea of what? 
Starts with a J. Justice, right? The, the core of you shall not lie is uh, what the Lord says here is it's about maintaining justice. Well, who is the just one? God is, right? God tells us what just is. He tells us what the standard of justice is in, as he reveals his law. And so part of not lying, part of not uh, uh, this commandment is that we will not pervert the justice that is so important to God. How many of you know that God is perfectly just? That he has never been wrong, never will be wrong in his justice. That he will give each one uh, perfectly what they are due. He will never err in justice. And so as his people, what he tells us is, you must also hold justice to the same uh, regard that I hold justice. Because it's not just about doing right on the earth. It's about, uh, it's about keeping sacred that which is part of my character, which is my perfect justice. All right, so that's why this is so, such an important conversation because lying is about justice. Lying is about the character of God. This is, this is about truth versus uh, what is true versus what is false, uh, and God is always true, always just, and always right. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us before we really get into the, uh, the context this morning, and we're gonna be in Ezekiel chapter 28 um, in just a second. But let's just pause for a minute, uh, as, we, as we always do, uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And I would just tell you this. Um, this morning, as you pray, just ask the Lord to speak to you. But pray for the person to your right as well. If there's no one to your right, look across the room. There's somebody over there. So um, pray for the person to your right that they would receive uh, all that God has for them this morning. You guys go, and then I'll get started. God, as we talk about that which is true and that which is false, we pray that you would speak what only you can speak, and that is the truth. We just open our hearts, open our minds, put ourselves before you and ask for truth to be spoken deeply to the inner man. God, I ask for transformation to occur in this room from the inner man, that you would strengthen us. God, that we would understand what is true, what is right, what is good by the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray that the transformation that occurs in this room is not because we get smarter by, by reading words on a page, but because we encounter the presence of Almighty God. We read it over and over and over and over again in the Word. Your desire is to meet with us. Your desire is to be with us. Your desire is to speak deeply into our hearts and lives. And so we welcome you here for that reason, for that purpose. We thank you, God, that you are not just God far off, but you are God near and present, that your heart is for us, and that encountering you, we can only encounter your goodness and your peace and your mercy and your justice. God, we cry out for those things this morning. We cry out for transformation. Reveal the wickedness in our hearts that we might be made new. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. All right, so Ezekiel chapter 28. So we're going to look at the origin of falsehood. Now, this, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Some of this may be new information for some of you. Um, some of it may not. But we don't, we don't talk a lot about Lucifer in this context. We're going we're gonna to look at, um, at Lucifer and his rebellion. Um, that's, because that's not my goal just to teach that subject, I'm not going to go into all of it. So I'm just going to give you an overview. But, but basically, uh, Lucifer uh, is... Uh, Another name for, uh, for Satan, Lucifer, is as he was created as an angelic being in the presence of God, okay? Satan was originally uh, an angel in the presence of God, and according to the scriptures, he was beautiful. According to the scriptures, he had a high and lofty position uh, in the presence of God, and some say that uh, it was in accordance with worship. Um, and so uh, what happens, and we're going we're gonna to read it, what happens is he becomes... Uh, obsessed and overwhelmed with his own beauty. He becomes distracted by what he is and then uh, begins to believe that he can be like God. This is what is going to end up causing the fall of Satan. We talk about original sin, and a lot of times we think original sin is Adam and Eve. Well, it's not, that's not really true. That's original human sin, but, but original sin occurred in the heart of Lucifer when he said that he would be like God, and because of that, God cast him to the ground. And we're going to read part of that from Ezekiel chapter 28 so that we can see where the heart of deception actually comes from. All right, so let's start in verse 14. I'm just going to read you a small passage here. This is speaking of Lucifer. You are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were uh, on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Listen to this. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So what happened? Lucifer got, again, what I just said, Lucifer got obsessed with his own beauty. He began to look at himself, and because he began to look at himself in a way that God had not designed him to, he began to believe that he was something more than God had created him to be. He believed that he could be as God, and he sinned, right? And in this, and in this sin, what is his punishment? What does God say? So I cast you to the ground, right? Now, I'm not going to go into all this, but that Hebrew word for ground uh, is the same word that we derive the word earth, right? So God hurls Satan to the ground, okay? But what was the, what was the point of, uh, of deceit in this moment? What happened? In all, in all of this, where did the lie come? Was the lie that he, begot, that he got obsessed with his own beauty? Was he beautiful? Absolutely. The scripture talks about his beauty. The scripture talks about his splendor. Was that the lie? No, that wasn't the lie. That was actually the truth, that he was beautiful, that God had created him beautiful. But where did the deceit come in? The deceit came because in the uh, reflection of his own beauty, he began to distort his place in accordance with God, right? We go back to Genesis 1.1. That you, you've, got to, uh, you've got to have a foundation point here. What does Genesis 1-1 say? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are two things that exist. One of those is there is a creator. Everything else that does not qualify as creator is what? Creation, right? What was Lucifer part of? Creation. But here's what happened. As he began to look at his own beauty, he began to see his place differently than creation. His own beauty caused him to go, and I might be equal to the one that is called creator. And I might be the same. There may be part of me that is the same as the one that is called creator. And the deception came in him when he began to believe that he was something besides simply creation made to glorify God. Do you see that? That is a lie. The lie is not that he was beautiful. The lie is is that his beauty was somehow made him equal to God. God is the only one that is creator. And the beginning of deceit came in a selfish look on himself. He lied uh, in believing that he could be God, and that was his fall. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Let's just go there. I want you to see it. John 8, sorry, yeah, John 8. Jesus has some pretty heavy words for these men, and, uh, and he talks about Lucifer. In verse 44, he tells them, he says, you are uh, of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand where? does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and what? The father of lies. So the beginning of lies, the father of lies came from Lucifer, right? And he says he was this from the beginning. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to what occurred uh, way, 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 way back. So why is that important to us? What what does that have to do with man? If this is simply Lucifer's rebellion, what does that have to do with man? Because watch what happens. Go to Genesis chapter 3. You guys know this story well. Satan is a liar from the beginning. It's his lie that gets him cast to the ground. He's the father of lies. And so what do you think he's going to do in relation to man? Lie. Right? Pretty simple. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see, now this is going to be the the fall of man, what we're going to read. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree That is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Closer examination, we're not going to do it today, but we'll reveal that that's not what God said. I don't want to teach on that this morning, but that's not what God said. She was wrong. But the serpent said to woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what happens? Satan comes and what does he do? He lies. But, but look at the heart of his lie. Does it sound familiar according to Ezekiel 28? What did he tell her? He, he asked, did God actually say, right? When we talk on spiritual warfare and on standing in the truth, that's a passage that we use often because that's, one, that's what the enemy wants to always first say. Did God actually say, are you sure you heard the words of God? Why does he do that? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so we've got to know what did God say? So the source of the enemy's temptation is always going to be, did God really say? Is it really true what you think that he said? And Eve doesn't know how to stand on it. She misquotes God, and the, the rest is, is history. But what is the heart of his deception? What does he say will happen if they eat of the tree? They will be like God. Does that sound familiar? Where does, this, where, where does it sound familiar? Why does it sound familiar? Where did you just hear that? That's his lie, isn't it? That's what he began to believe, right? He didn't make up anything new. The, the origin of this lie, the origin of this deception was the skewing of what is created and what is creation. He erred when he believed that he could somehow be like God, and so his lie has the same thing. His lie is to distort who is God and who is not. And he tells these words to Eve. He says, you will be like God. What would that mean that Eve would need of God? Nothing, right? If she were to be like God, she would not need God. And what did God create her to always need? Him. So the, the, the origin of the lie of the enemy is to skew the position of God as it relates to, uh, to all of creation. So here's the problem. They believe that lie. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I, when when we go into more detail on this, uh, it's not that, the, that knowledge of good and evil is bad, right? We, we read that a lot of times and we go, man, we, we, knowledge of good and evil must be bad. Knowledge of good and evil is not bad, but it's not life, right? God gave them life to be sustained in what he had given them and his relationship with them. And Lucifer said, if you'll eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be like God, then life will be sustained in your understanding of the knowledge of good and evil, Knowledge of good and evil isn't bad, but it's not life, okay? They, they began to believe that they could draw life from the knowledge of good and evil. And so sin occurs, and now there is a disconnect. Because they've tried to draw life off the knowledge of good and evil, they have actually now died. Now, they don't fall over dead, right? They don't, they don't fall over dead. Their physical bodies don't die. But you see the evidence of death. Why? Because what happens? What do they notice? For the first time, what do they notice? Themselves. For the first time, they begin to look at themselves and they notice that they're naked. And what is the, what's the feeling? It's called shame, right? Any, anybody ever been around shame before? Anybody ever experienced what that feels like, what shame feels like? Shame is always rooted in a lie. If you're ever experiencing shame, know this, that you have believed a lie. Shame and lying go hand in hand, and they've believed a lie from the enemy. They have sinned, and now there's, now there's shame, which is a result. And look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. 
what happens. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What was the result of them skewing the relationship of creator and creation? What was their punishment? They were cast out. Who else was cast out? Right? All Satan did was repeat the same story that he had experienced, right? So this is where lying begins. This is how, this is how lie and distortion and deception, uh, this, is how, this is how it gets into, uh, in, into man. The, the fall of man is rooted in a lie. So anytime we're experiencing sin nature, on some level we are experiencing deception. Anytime we're, we're, we're dealing with our flesh and not the Spirit of the Lord, in some way we are experiencing deception because it was this very deception that threw the course of the human race uh, off from its relationship with God. It originated in the heart of Satan when he was cast from heaven, but it was duplicated in Adam and Eve. So... Why should we as believers not lie? What's happened in us that, that should now bring us into a new reality uh, of lying and truth? What's, what, what happens when we meet Christ? What happens to that old man that is rooted in deception? What happens to him? Altogether, what happened to the old man? Dies, where did he die? On the cross, the moment that you, this is imperative that you know this, the moment that you meet Christ for salvation, the moment that you repent and believe is the moment that this old man, shrouded in deception, is crucified and nailed to the cross. Paul would say that the power of sin has been dealt with uh, on the cross and you are no longer enslaved to sin. So you were once enslaved to a lie. What was that lie before you met Christ? I'm asking a lot of questions today. You're not answering many of them, but what was the lie before you met Christ? What was the core of the lie? That you don't need him. Why? Because what? That's right. What does your flesh tell you? That it's self-sufficient, right? You, before Christ, and, and, and look, some of you in this room may not know him. This is, the, this is the lie and the deception that you're under, that you are somehow capable of living out your life absent the life of God in you. Absent a relationship with him, that you are somehow capable of living out your life. Well, I want to tell you, it is, a, it is deceit, as good as it was uh, in, in the Garden of Eden, it is deceit and a lie, that based on the knowledge of good and evil, based on your own understanding, there is no life. Life comes from one place. The source of life comes from one place, and that is him and him alone. And the deception that we were under before Christ, we were under the slavery to the idea that we could somehow live out our lives absent the power of Christ in us, absent the life of Christ in us. But something happened when we met Jesus. Something occurred when we all of a sudden saw our sinfulness, right? See, that's what has to happen. In order for you to be saved, you have to have an encounter with your own uh, insufficiency, you don't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, Jesus sounds like a good idea, right? Why do you eat food? 
Because what prompts eating? Hunger. In the same way that hunger prompts eating, sin prompts a need for a savior. When you recognize that you're dead, you will need something. What is that something? Life. If you and I were to go swimming, and we were to both uh, stand on the dock and look across the lake and go, all right, we're going to swim. That's not a big lake, all right? Or I wouldn't be telling the story. We're going to swim across and back. It's more like a pond, right? <laughs> we're going to swim across and back. We both jump in. What are we? What would you call us? Wet and we're swimmers. Very good. Uh-huh, a little sarcasm. I get you. We're swimmers, right? Because we're doing what? We're swimming. Well, uh, because I've been uh, working out at the gym uh, for the last two weeks, I make it all the way across and back. But you get all the way across and back, and you're halfway, and you realize you're not going to make it. You're, get, you're on your way back. You're not going to make it. Are you still a swimmer? Now, what are you now? We call you a drowner. Yeah. <laughs> You are no longer a swimmer. Now, here's the deal. When you jumped off the dock, were you, were you really a swimmer? You were swimming, but what was ultimately going to happen to you? You were going to drown, right? You were just being deceived, thinking, while I'm swimming, I'm going to make it all the way across and back. The reality is you were going to get down and halfway back, and you were going to drown. You were never a swimmer. You just had an idea that maybe I could, maybe I could make it. So when you jumped in and you were swimming, were you calling out for help? Why? Because what did you believe? You could swim. The long story to make a short point. We have got to realize our death before we call out for a savior. If in your experience of meeting Jesus, if your experience in knowing him for salvation doesn't somehow include your recognition of how totally insufficient you are and how dead you are, then I would argue that you have not met Jesus for salvation. I want to be really careful there. Because what I just did is maybe uncover some things. If you've got questions on that, please let's talk afterwards. If you go, well, okay, I don't know now about my salvation. Don't, don't let it linger as a question. Let's talk afterwards. But an understanding of the, of the uh, innate death that occurs in me is part of knowing Jesus for salvation. But once we know him for salvation, that death which is in you is crucified on the sufficiency of the cross, right? That old man that was rotting inside of you is now put on the cross and is dead, no longer to be alive. Do you hear that? That old man will never live again. So much of our issue is that after salvation, we've believed that that old man is somehow still alive. We've been deceived to believe that the power of the cross didn't really crucify the old man, and the problems I'm dealing with is because the cross wasn't actually enough to kill the old man. He is dead. If you've met Jesus for salvation, the old man is dead. And what has now come alive inside of you? Anybody? The Spirit of the Lord God has given life in your inner man. You are now made alive and new because you, the Spirit of man has met the Spirit of Christ and now there is life that dwells in you. Amen. See, Jesus doesn't live in your heart. The Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God indwells the believer. And it's what brings and gives life. And guess what? That's a new man. 
That's different than the, than the man that used to function in accordance to the deception of the enemy, that you are self-sufficient. Now we know the truth, that we're not self-sufficient, that our sufficiency is in Christ, and the truth is that we are dependent on him every single day. Why does this have anything to do with lying in the Ten Commandments? The, the point here is that once we've been made into a new man, we are wired to live according to truth and not the lie. So the offspring of our life, the, are you guys with me? Are we still good? I feel like I took too many funny turns. You guys okay? All right. Oh, okay. All right. So if we've been now inhabited by the spirit of truth, if we're now uh, being indwelled by the spirit of truth, then the offspring of our life should be what? Truth. You with me? We should live according to truth. We should walk every day in accordance with truth. What comes out of our mouth should not be a lie. It should be truth, right? What we believe about ourselves should not be a lie, but it should be truth, right? We should be now encompassed by truth because that's what's now in us. The truth of God has now set itself up to live inside of you, and that's the way that you govern your life. That's the way you, uh, that you speak to one another. That's what you believe about yourself. That's how you live your, your day is according to the Spirit of God who is perfect in truth. The new man is based in truth. Some more nods? You guys with me? So why does God say that we shouldn't lie? Because if, we're, if, if lying is found in us, that means we're relying on what? The flesh. That means we're living according to the flesh. So let's, let's define it. What is a lie? Well, let's, let's actually let's step back. Let's define truth first. That would be better. Go to Psalm chapter 33. Everybody take a deep breath. I feel like we're all stressing a little bit. All right. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes I see panic in your faces and I, I wonder where it comes from. All right, Psalm 33. Somebody read verse four. Okay, go to Titus chapter one. For the word of the Lord is upright. What's another word for upright? Starts the T. We're talking about it a lot. All right, there it is. True. Titus chapter one. Titus is a tough one. It's a little guy in the back. Verse two of chapter one. Somebody read that out loud. Who cannot lie? God cannot lie. His word is, we just read it in Psalm 33, his word is true. In him there is no lie. Go to John chapter 14. Bible drill. Somebody read verse 6. John 14, 6. It's all right. That's a good one, too. That's next week. I'm just kidding. Four. 
What does Jesus call himself? The what? Truth. All right, so God is true. Jesus is truth. All right, now the one we're not really ever sure about, Holy Spirit. Let's see if he's also on the truth team. John 16. That was lame, sorry. The truth team. Oh, man, did I? Okay. John 16, somebody read verse 12 through 15. That's good. All right, so the Father is true. The Son is true. And the gift which he has given to indwell all believers, the Spirit of God, is also true. And the commitment of the Holy Spirit, we pray it all the time in here, the commitment of the Holy Spirit, attested by Jesus, is that he will only take that which is of the Father, so we know that's also got to be what? True. He will only take truth. He is truth. He can do nothing else. He will only take truth and reveal it to us. That that is what is in you, beloved. That's what's been given in us as life, is the one who is true. The Trinity is perfect in truth. There is no variation from truth. All that he does is just and good and true. And all that the Holy Spirit is in us, that indwells us as our new life, is also true. And Jesus would make this statement, I can do nothing but that which I see my Father do. We were created to live in obedience with the Spirit of truth. So again, the point that I just made earlier, the offspring of our life should be what? Truth. Now what I don't mean by that is I don't just mean that you shouldn't lie to people. Is that true? Yes, you shouldn't lie to people. Right? When we think about truth and lying, that's normally what we think of. We think of the external way in which we lie, right? And boy, we could spend some time on that. We could spend some time on the little white lies that we tell and on, uh, on, on the way that those things snowball, right? But I won't, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. We could spend way too much time doing that. The, the commandment, you shall not lie, includes those things. But what I'm concerned about is a deeper truth. What I'm concerned about is something that that happens in us, the lies that occur in us and around us uh, constantly that that aren't about, uh, you know, the little things, the little exterior things. I'm more concerned about the lies that we believe about our identity. I'm more concerned about the lies that we speak over one another in accordance with their identity. I'm more concerned about the thoughts that you think about yourself day in and day out. Are those things in accordance with truth? Because if we've been wired, hardwired into the kingdom of heaven, that means that we've been given access to all truth. Right after Jesus says that I only do what I see my father do, he says this. He says, the father shows me all these things because he loves me. Jesus had a confidence about his access to the kingdom of heaven because he knew how the father felt about him, right? Do you know the affection that the Father has for you? 
The word says that we now have been, uh, been adopted in, that we can now call him Abba Father, that he loves us with a love that cannot be comprehended. He loves us to the extent that he gave his son on our behalf as evidence of that great love. You have been given by that love access to all truth, beloved, about you, about who God is, about the world around you, about your friends, about your family. You have been given access to truth. Don't believe for one minute that God has left you without access to truth that you need. He is a good and perfect father. So what is lying? Lying is anything, a lie is anything that violates the standard of the kingdom of heaven or, or the character, nature, and heart of God. If truth is defined as the person of God in the Trinity, if that's truth, that's how we're going to define it, right? You with me? We have to define it that way. Then a lie is anything that contradicts, right, the kingdom of God and his, uh, sorry, or his character, nature, and heart. So what qualifies as a lie? Well, there's lies about material things we've just talked about. We've, we've probably all had that lesson as kids, right? We're te- Shiloh, I know he has a flesh. I know, he's a, I know he is a man because he's, he lies sometimes. Where did that come from? It came from Adam, right? Why would that boy need to lie? Well, we, I, know that, I know that he's a man. He, he, you know, sometimes about the smallest things. Anybody ever been in that boat? It's pointless, Right? But we also lie about others. How does, that, how does that come out? It comes out as gossip. It comes out as slander. Here's the deal. It also comes out in things that you may never say. You lie about others in the way that you sit next to them and think about them. And remember, if your thoughts don't end up in accordance with that which is of the kingdom of heaven, then it is a lie, and you're guilty of a lie. We lie about ourselves. This one, this one I see a ton, and it's heartbreaking. The amount of times that you speak what is not true in the kingdom over yourself is astonishing. How many I am statements do you make in a day, whether out loud or, or uh, internally? How many of those statements about yourself would God agree with? In a failure in your life, you come up with a conclusion, well, I'm just dot, dot, dot. Are you willing to put that before the Lord? Would he agree with whatever the statement is or the thought is that you just said or spoke over yourself? And then here's the one that gets us a bunch. Lies about God. When our theology is not based in the truth, our theology is based around the failure and the brokenness and the hurt of our lives. I wanna tell you this one is so dangerous. It is so dangerous to build theology around failure. You pray and you believe somehow God didn't hear me, God didn't respond. So my theology is now that God does not hear and respond to all prayer, right? Because of something I've experienced, because of something somebody has said to me, because of some failure of my life, I build theology around failure. I pray for somebody to be healed and they're not healed. My theology is now that God doesn't heal. What have I done? I've lied, because that's not in here. I've built theology around failure, and it's a, it's a lie 
as much as anything else because it contradicts the kingdom of God. These are tough, right? I'm t- I'm, these are tough. We're not, we're not treading lightly here. These are tough things. So what do we do as the Holy Spirit makes us aware of lies? Well, let me just tell you this. You will not be able to find the lies in your own life. Please don't go searching for them. You, you will end up walking down a path with the enemy. If you try to self-examine and figure out what the deception of your own life, where have I believed lies about myself, do not even try to go down that road. It is tempting and looks noble and looks even humble to do. Do not tread that ground. The only one that can reveal lies and deception in your life, whether about you or things that you've thought about God, the only one that is capable of doing that is the Holy Spirit. Why is that true? Because he's the truth. If you try to figure out a lie based on your flesh, you've already been deceived to think that you could figure it out absent the truth. How would you know a lie unless the truth was standing right next to you? Right? Don't, don't go down that road, but, but if you want to know the deception of your life, pray as David did. God, uh, show me any unrighteous thing in me. Show me the wickedness in my heart. Put yourself before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what lies and deception you've believed about yourself, about others, and about God. That is a brave prayer, beloved. That is a brave prayer. Because sometimes we get very comfortable in the lies that we've believed about ourselves. Sometimes it's just easier to believe my failure than to believe something greater could be true for my life. So to get before the Lord and ask for truth means you're gonna have to come into contact with what the actual truth is. It's a brave prayer. But the Holy Spirit is the only one that can, that can do that. He's the only one that can show you. And then I would tell you this. As he shows you lies and deception that you've believed about yourself, others, or God, be quick to repent. Repentance is actually truth, right? Because repentance is acknowledging that I believed a lie, which is the truth. You with me? Repentance is always good. It feels like, it feels like repentance is, uh, is a shameful thing. No, repentance is a wonderful thing. Repentance should be practiced over and over and over and over again in the life of the believer because repentance is slamming up against the truth over and over and over and over again. And the truth is that sometimes I'm deceived. And if I'm foolish enough to not acknowledge that sometimes I'm deceived, I will not ever believe the truth, Right? So I must repent when the Holy Spirit comes and says, Kendall, you've believed this about me. It's not true about me. My first, my first move should be to the ground. Repent, for I've believed a lie. And God, teach me to live according to the truth. Repentance is not something done by an abusive father. Repentance is done by a good and perfect father that wants you to live in a good and perfect way. He's not in the business of repentance to make you feel bad about you. He's in the business of repentance to draw you closer to himself so that you would have the life that he paid for you to have, right? Sanctification involves repentance. And then the good news is that once you repent, you know the truth, and guess what the truth does? John 8, 32, what does the truth do? Come on, sets you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Anybody that's ever experienced deliverance, anybody that's ever experienced what it, what it looks like to believe lies about myself and then to know what the truth actually is knows what that freedom tastes like. 
There's also freedom uh, when you know the truth about the people around you. And there's tremendous freedom when we know the truth of the heart of our Father. To know God, to know the truth about his nature, about his kingdom, about who he is, is freedom. And as you know the truth, and the truth sets you free, commit to living according to the truth. Because I want to promise you, the moment that the Lord reveals lies that you've believed, and the moment that there's been this process of healing and freedom, the moment you begin to live the truth, what is the enemy going to come and say? He's already said it a thousand times. Did God really say that that's who you are? Did God really say that he heals Did God really say that he delivers and sets free? Did God really say that the hurt and brokenness of your past is on the cross? Is that really true? How would that actually happen? Right? I'm repeating words I've heard before, and I'm sure many of you have as well. But to live according to the truth is to first, you have to know the truth, and then you have to stand on it regardless of what comes. Right? This is an old illustration. Many teachers and pastors have used it. But um, the, the way that our government trains people to find false currency is by studying in intimate detail the true currency, right? So they study, a, I guess nobody ever forges a dollar bill. So they, stu- they, stu- they study a $100 bill uh, or whatever the currency is to every detail, Right? And they know that if they know that inside and out, then whenever a lie comes, the lie will be recognized, right? They don't study all the forgeries. They don't study all the things that have been tried. They just study the truth. Because if they know the truth, then the lie will make itself known. And that's what we need to do as we commit to live according to truth. Press into his word. Press into his spirit. Know his character. Know his nature. And when the enemy comes and says something in contradiction to that, you will know it. Test every spirit, beloved, according to the truth of God. And I'm going I'm to read a passage over you and we'll be done. So let's just read this as a prayer. Colossians chapter 3, and then I'll be finished. Isn't it funny that all of these come back to the same thing? You've been given a new nature. Live in it, right? Every, I feel like every time I've taught, it's come back to... We've been given a new nature in Christ. Let's live in it. All right, Colossians chapter three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Here there is, no, uh, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Holy Spirit, help us to put off what is old and to put on what is new. Renew us according to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.